What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And so I was like looking at it and using these things, you know, again, every day. And I was like, someone really needs to fix this. Like this could be done in a way more thoughtful way. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I have a company that does this. <laughs> You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. Today's episode. Create the change. My guest today didn't intend to start a business. She was pretty content teaching snowboarding in the winter and surfing in the summer, living an almost caricature of the Southern California lifestyle. But respect for nature, where she spent so much of her time, led her to try to eliminate plastics and other landfill and ocean-bound waste from her life and tried to find healthy options. While traveling, she realized she was using a lot of those tiny little toothpaste tubes, and she became fixated on trying to find a better way to brush without non-recyclable waste. What Lindsay McCormick ended up creating and selling in tiny, adorable glass apothecary jars online was Bite Toothpaste Bits. And she became committed to creating change for the planet. Today, her company sells much more than sustainable toothpaste. Its deodorant went viral on TikTok. But long before Lindsay had 10 employees and more than 10 million in revenue, she cared deeply about the environment, even as a little kid. I was always kind of that, like, you know, weird girl in elementary school who was, like, talking about not wasting water and, like, talking about, like, rainforest deforestation. (laughs) So, like, when I look back at that, like, I remember this, there was this one time in, like, art class. I think I was in, like, fourth grade. You know when you're, like, washing off your art supplies, right? Your paintbrushes and everything. I was like, hey, guys, like, we should turn off the water in between people. And one of the kids was like, who do you think you are, Mother Earth? And I was like, oh. Oh, (laughs) fourth grade Lindsay, like feeling so hurt. For me, it was more kind of looking back and being like, you know, I'd been always really passionate about the environment and conservation in general. And so I didn't necessarily think that I would, um, you know, have that come through as owning a business and running a business. But I'm really so thankful that it has because I just think there's so much good that can be done when it comes to like having a business. Yeah. And um, your early path in your early career wasn't, you didn't head to Silicon Valley, you didn't work in startups. What was your path to founding the company? So when I I graduated college and I moved right out to California, I knew I wanted to be on the West Coast. And I worked as a surf instructor in the summer and a snowboard instructor in the winter. Um, If you don't know about Southern California, you can go from the beach to the mountains in an hour and a half, uh, depending on traffic. And so I really wanted to be outside. I loved nature. I loved being out in, in the outdoors. And it was actually through that that I started seeing, like, really just my, I worked at a surf camp in Malibu, just seeing more and more plastic wash up on my board every year. And it was something that when you're you're out there every day and you see it, um, it was really kind of hitting me hard. And then obviously working in snow sports, same thing. Like, everyone was talking about what's going to happen with climate change. Is it going to affect our sport? Is that going to affect our livelihood? You know, like, what are going to happen with the mountains? So it was top of mind. And when I kind of, in my late 20s, I was like, you know, do I want to work in snow sports my whole life and, and 
you know, surf instructor my whole life, or what do I want to do? And I was like, you know what, I would, I really want to work in nature documentaries. You know, I, I see this problem. I'd love to be able to kind of tell this story and get people wanting to uh, change things. And, and that's when Plastic Ocean had come out and a bunch of different documentaries about that that was really impactful for me. And so um, I started working in TV. And it was actually during my time as an unscripted TV producer that I came up with the idea for Bite because I was on a plane every other week traveling with those little travel toothpaste tubes and uh, shampoo, conditioner, and I would refill the shampoo and conditioner, but I couldn't refill the toothpaste. And so I was like, wait, this isn't an alignment. Um, And so that's how the idea for Bite started, was just like, what's an eco-friendly way that I can travel and be able to brush my teeth? And from that, I started looking into, you know, what is toothpaste? Why is it made? Why is it in a paste? And what's in it? And then kind of learned about the crazy amount of toothpaste that's, toothpaste tubes that are thrown out every year. And that's really how it started. Everyone sort of knows that toothpaste tubes aren't recycled, right? I mean, and that yet we, yet we don't stop using them because it's like, what's the alternative, right? But you found an alternative. How did you come to the little nib, the little bite of toothpaste um, that can be a substitute and you, which you sell in really beautiful little kind of apothecary glass jars? Thank you. It was quite the journey because this was, you know, this was a project that I was working on when I wasn't doing my day job, which was TV producer. So I wanted to figure out what I could travel with. I started with powder. Powder was a disaster. It gets all over the place, you know, and it just wasn't wasn't resonating with me. But it is an option. Like you could do that. That's something you could brush with. Yes, you could. And like the most of the powders that you'll see are actually in plastic containers. So I was like, that doesn't totally fix the problem. And it didn't, most of the stuff that you see didn't have anything that actually is really good for your teeth, right? It didn't have a nanohydroxyapatite or a fluoride in it. And so it was kind of like, well, this is oral care, you know, and if I'm making it for myself and, you know, possibly my family, like who's going to be using this? Like, I didn't really think it would be a business. I figured it would just be for like me and my friends. So I wanted to make sure I was really using the best ingredients, the most effective ingredients. And so I started looking into, you know, powders, and then I tried to make, like, these, like, balls where I would take these ingredients and put it together and then try to, like, dehydrate it in my my toaster oven, and I, like, set it on fire, (laughs) and I was like, this is a disaster. And so finally, I was like, you know, the, the solution here is a tablet, which means I have to buy a tableting machine, which means at this point, you know, a tableting machine was $1,000. This was, like, a hobby. And now I'm spending $1,000 on a hobby. And so I was like, okay, this is now, I want to be able to make my money back. You know, I'll put it on Etsy. I'll put it on, I'll put up a site on Shopify. And so that was really the way that it, it all kind of started. I was just trying to figure out the best delivery mechanism. And then when I realized it was a tablet, the thing that's amazing about that is that you can, when you take out the water, you don't need the harsh chemicals, the preservatives, the artificial flavors to cover that up. And it can be refillable, right? So it comes in the glass jar and then a compostable refill fill pouch. And because almost everyone brushes their teeth two times a day, maybe you need an extra one here or there, it's easy to dose it out. So you have the exact amount someone needs for a month. And so that's really how it was like, okay, I can make this really sustainable, refillable system where you just have this beautiful glass bottle and then a compostable refill pouch that you just rip open and put in there and then put in your home compost. And having it be dehydrated, like you mentioned, solves a lot of those problems. There's so many products that I feel like cannot figure out how to be packaged in aluminum or glass, something that's actually recyclable, actually readily available and recyclable. But you you were able to package in glass and aluminum right away, right? 
Yeah. And that's the thing too, is that you can go right into something that's easily recyclable and refillable. And also it's, you're not shipping around water, right? So toothpaste, when you look at like a normal paste, it's 60% water minimum, like usually about minimum, which means you're just shipping that around. It's not, that's not anything that's actually helping your teeth. And so it's like, well, let's take that out. And then water, once you put something like water in something, you have to have a bunch of stabilizers and, you know, it's just, it's a totally different type of formula. And so by taking it out, you can have a much cleaner and more efficient delivery system. Yeah. Okay. But let's talk about what's different here. You created a product that no one, aside from maybe like really hardcore backpackers or astronauts have like seen before. It's like a little, almost like a little pill of toothpaste that you then chomp on and brush your teeth as normal. But what was the process of trying to educate your possible future customers about it? How did you go about marketing it? How did you go about bringing it to market? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, it's kind of when you look back at your life, like how the dots align in a very weird and random way. And I think that was something that was incredibly helpful was my background in TV. So, you know, I had, I wanted to work in nature documentaries. I was working in Unscripted, which is reality. I was working on a show, House Hunters. So you have to know how to tell a story and you have to be able to take uh, complex ideas, you know, like people who are buying a house and all the different things they're thinking about and put it in a digestible way that is entertaining. And I think that was incredibly helpful because when it came to the toothpaste and plastic problem, you take these abstract concepts and make them visual. So when I learned about the over a billion plastic toothpaste tubes that are ending up in landfills and oceans every year, that's an alarming stat. But if you can't wrap your head around it, and this is what I learned in TV and in media, you know, and, and if you can't wrap your head around it, it's not really impactful. So then we had to figure out what is the volume of a billion toothpaste tubes and what does that mean? And so that's 50 Empire State Buildings every single year ending up in landfills, right? So when you're able to see like, whoa, you know, most people know how huge the Empire State Building is 50 times over every single year. Now that stat is something that you can feel and you can wrap your head around. And I think that that's the thing that we've done over and over and over again at Byte is taking these concepts that are very amorphous and really hard to wrap your head around and making them visual and impactful because people do care and they want to do well and they, they want to do good and they want to be part of the solution. But if you're not able to describe the problem to them in a way that makes sense, it's just human nature to not understand it, you know? And so that's something that was really important from the beginning. Tell me about, say, the first two years, the early years. So you've got this tablet machine in your house. Um, yep. You <laughs> are driven to make a better solution for toothpaste. And then at what point does it become a business? Like, at what point are you? do you see the D2C sort of revolution happening around you? Do you think, I can make a website, I can sell this? Was there, like, a switch that flipped for you there um, in terms of making it real? Yeah. So it was very much playing with powders in my living room, right? I had this plastic table I put out with all these different mason jars of all these different ingredients that I'd gotten from everywhere, from Amazon to Whole Foods to Chemistry Connection online, you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to make this thing. I took online chemistry classes, talked to dentists and dental hygienists, and then was like literally hand cranking out these tablets. So once I got to the point where it was something that was usable, I started taking it to work at my TV job and having people try it. And I had this little, you know, piece of paper where it was like, what do you think of the flavor? What do you think of the foaminess? What do you think of everything. And I started also taking it to vegan events. I'm a longtime vegan. So I was taking it there. I was giving out free samples. I was asking for feedback uh, and travel events too, because I was in the travel community. So it was, I was very much like, how do I make this something that people like? I knew that having a sustainable solution was not the solution. You needed something that people also wanted to actually like or actually use. And so once I got to something that people were like, 
yeah, this like doesn't suck. I was like, okay, <laughs> just set up a website. And so, you know, the first thing, I mean, it was it was a Shopify template and an Etsy store that you can make within honestly 20 minutes, you know, chose a, a free template because I didn't even want to chart, you know, I didn't want to pay the $149 for it, you know. So it was like a free template and iPhone photos of my product. And I just explained what it is. I explained why it was better and I put it up online. And, you know, the first, I mean, year, it was my friends and family. I knew every single name that came in. You know, it was like, oh, that's my mom's friend. Oh, that's my friend from high school, you know. And then it was uh, some zero waste bloggers had found out about it, um, specifically from Instagram and online in their newsletters. This was back in 2018. And so that was the beginning of first seeing names I didn't know. I was like, who's this? Who's that? And so that was the beginning of kind of like that that small um, community that started really kind of echoing around my product. And what did that feel like when those new names started to come up and you were like, I have real customers? Really exciting. And the first thing I did was I personally emailed them. I thanked them. I asked them how they found out about me. And I asked them what they thought because I really needed that feedback. I wanted to get better. I knew that I never saw this as like a put it out in the world and be done. It was iterating, iterating, iterating. How do I get better? How do I get better? And that's actually something I still do. I still talk to our customers on a regular basis. When did you um, realize you needed to start hiring people and get more systems in place to actually scale? So we ended up having a video go viral on Facebook. And it was a video all about Byte and the solution that we were in with the problem we were trying to solve. And it ended up getting millions of views. And so that really launched the company because it was something where people could see it. They could hear my story. They could see what the product was. And they started telling their friends about it. And that was like the snowball effect. Once that happened, it was like I was backordered for three months because I was still making these in my living room. So I started sending out uh, emails to everyone saying, I'm so sorry, we're backordered. I'm happy to refund you. If not, thanks for being part of the journey. And I mean, almost no one asked for a refund. Everybody kind of wanted to be part of it. And so I found a manufacturer in California. And that's when I started hiring. I was like, okay, you know, essentially it's like we have glass bottles. They're made in LA. We also have you know, now we have a manufacturer. It's also in a, in California. I can't manage all of this while marketing it and while, you know, talking to the customers. So uh, the first hires were figuring out um, supply chain and also customer support. This is before the pandemic, but you've always been a mostly virtual company, right? Yep. Out of a living room, still in the living room. Right, right. That's amazing. Of course, you can only see from your own perspective, but what advantage did that give you going into the pandemic, um, having worked in that way already and then continuing to scale through everyone struggling to work at home, struggling to learn how to Zoom and and do everything kind of asynchronously? Yes. I think that it was something that when that happened, it was obviously, you know, all of a sudden the shift to home uh, and everything. Well, when you're an incredibly small team who's already talking all day, every day via Slack and email and like all of our systems were all set up, it was not really a difference for us at all. And so what happened was it was, of course, you know, we had already been a lot of the problems that had come around with COVID, right? Like the burnout, getting used to digital systems. We already had this as part of our life anyway. We had already had to figure out how we manage that as a team. So, you know, we have something called connected hours where you're just expected to be available between uh, 10 and 4. And any other time is like you do your work asynchronously and it's like do your work the, the best way. You know, it's like we're a super small team. We're really scrappy. So we're all responsible for, you know, incredible results, but we can do it on our own time. And so that 
that was something as soon as my employees who had kids and now kids are home, we were able to just kind of very quickly adapt because it was like, okay, well, we already kind of know how to do this. So now the whole world's doing it with us. What's been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome in growing? This is still something that we hit on a regular basis is the fact that we are just um, constantly trying to get better. Um, And I don't just mean that from like a team standpoint, also from a product standpoint. So our first iteration of our tablets had an EcoCert palm oil derived uh, surfactant. So our foaming agent had eco-certified palm oil in it. And it was our customers who were just like, hey, we're seeing some transparency issues with palm oil, even the eco-cert one. We really think you should take a second look into this and see if this really aligns with your company values because we've been so, we were very transparent with our company values. I looked into it. I realized that they were right. You know, if you kind of think about, it's interesting. Wait, what's wrong with palm oil? I'm sorry, I'm not in the. (laughs) I know, I know. So the thing about palm oil is that it's, it's just incredibly cheap and the mechanisms to get it now, it's just contributing to an enormous amount of rainforest deforestation, specifically in Indonesia. It's just not being farmed responsibly. Uh, And it's the typical thing where it's like, you know, it's the cheapest option. So it's like really just like gone down when it comes to even like from eco standards, human rights, like the whole thing is just kind of an issue. And so, or a huge issue. And I knew that. So I was like, we'll use eco certified palm oil, which means it's made on these farms that guarantee certain standard of living and pay for people who are working on the farms, as well as uh, more sustainable practices when it comes to harvesting the palm oil. The easiest way to explain why this is actually a very hard thing to do is just like to zoom out for a second and like, let's look at like diamonds, right? People want conflict-free diamonds. It is incredibly hard to even certify that. There's the Kimberly process. They have to put so much work into that and that's diamonds. It's incredibly expensive. So if we think that we're able to put some source of like some sort of tracking mechanism or like a sourcing quality standard on something as cheap as palm oil, it just doesn't make sense. It's not something that that is set up. And so when I started looking into that, I was like, wow, they're right. And there are companies that do it right, right? Like Dr. Bronner's actually has their own farms. They manage. They're there. They're wow. making sure people have living wages. They're they're doing it right. And I really admire companies like that. We're too small to have our own palm oil farms. So I was like, okay, I don't want to contribute to this problem. My customers are right. So we're going to reformulate and we're going to get palm oil out of this. And we're going to use a coconut-derived surfactant that's palm oil-free certified. And that was incredibly hard to do. Interesting. Because I'm sure you've gone through this sort of conundrum with almost like every ingredient that you've been looking at or adding and this kind of analysis. So it's fascinating to hear. It's just like we do our development in-house. So as a small team, we're then having to figure this out and source this. It created supply chain problems that affected us like throughout 2020. Like it was something where I had realized this isn't just me in a living room anymore, right? I can't just like choose a different ingredient and put it in there and be like, this is good. It really did. It was the first time where I was like, whoa, like instead of this little tiny speedboat that I thought I was driving, this is kind of like a tank, you know? And like when I make a choice, like it really will have ripple effects throughout the company. We now have to have a new label and we have to do that. We have to... So it was like a thing where it was like, whoa, iteration is now a bigger deal. But I do believe that iteration is necessary for us. We need to stay nimble. So that's always the thing where it's like we're still in the process. We're always improving our ingredients. Not only do we want it to be, you know, foamier and like mintier, you know, and using the best, most sustainable ingredients that we can, but then understanding 
realizing that, you know, these types of changes do have a cost on the company as a small team. And so how do we make sure that we're balancing having the absolute best product on the market from every standard, taste best, you know, most sustainable, most ethically made? How do we balance that with understanding that we can't just constantly chasing our tails, reiterating, you know, making things better? And so how has that caused you to react now in the and going into the future? Do you think you'd be more or less likely to reformulate based on a single ingredient? Because it was uh, palm oil and that and sustainability is just so incredibly important to our business, I would do that again in a heartbeat. Although I would be way more eyes open on the implications it would have. But, you know, even when I look at that, our sales we are the only certified palm oil free toothpaste tablet. So that is something where now our customers, like the word of mouth, it was exponentially helpful. So it's like, I look back and I'm like, that was really hard to do, totally worth it. But then when I think about things like wanting to make it a little bit more minty um, or, you know, change, like if we wanted to put a new flavor out, it's kind of like, let's really have a really good understanding of the implications that we'll have. So we just do it in a controlled way. I would definitely do it again. Uh, I would just be a little bit more aware of the impact. (laughs) When we come back, I'll talk with Lindsay about how Bite branched out from toothpaste and had to adjust its own brand just to launch a new product. But first, a quick break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, Lindsay, now you don't only sell toothpaste. Tell me about the process of launching into new products and designing them and offering them. What are the standards you try to meet with each new product? First, maybe tell me what was your first one outside of toothpaste? Everything that we do at Bite, the idea is it's better for our bodies, better for our planets, and we want to get better for the planet, and we want to get plastic out of our everyday routine. So that's kind of what we start with. And, you know, our first product was our toothpaste tablets. They come in the glass jar with a compostable refill pouch. Then we had mouthwash tablets, which are pretty amazing. They they look similar to our toothpaste tablets, but you bite down, you take a sip of water, and it immediately dissolves in your mouth, like, very quickly. And it's super icy, minty. You swish it around and spit it out. So that was our second product. And then it was, you know, we we wanted to complete the oral care set. So after that, we had um, our bamboo toothbrush plastic-free floss, and then our whitening gel. So the whitening gel comes in a glass bottle, and it's a compostable applicator brush. And so you brush it on your teeth, and so instead of having the waste from whitening strips, it's the same really great stuff, but in a totally plastic-free way and with way cleaner ingredients. There's actually a lot of um, really nasty stuff that can be in uh, whitening gel, and we didn't put it in there. So, um, you know, it's uh, that was kind of the complete the oral care set. And then something that's been really important to me. So I live a low waste vegan lifestyle. So these are the products that I was using every single day. And I was using deodorant like and, and it's funny because I've I've used plastic free deodorant for a really long time, like the kind that come in a cardboard tube and the aluminum free. Yes, aluminum free. It's always worked for me. You still sweat, but you don't stink. You know, like that was the whole idea. And so 
I had used the stuff that was like a paste that comes in the glass jar that you put under your armpit. And I was like, man, I do not like having to wash this off my hands every, you know, every morning. And so then it was the cardboard tube, but then there were issues with the tube. Like after you'd use it for a little while, the top would get really gunky and sweaty and it was kind of disgusting, a lot of bacteria. And I couldn't get the lid back on. I couldn't travel with it. And so I was like looking at it and using these things, you know, again, every day. And I was like, someone really needs to fix this. Like this could be done in a way more thoughtful way. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I have a company that does this. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, maybe Bite needs to do deodorant, you know. And when we did that, it when we started thinking about maybe Bite needs to do deodorant, it was like, well, wait, we're called Bite. <laughs> you know, like that's a problem. You know, that we're great for oral care and not so great for armpits. So like, how do we kind of fit this together? And again, this was like started in my living room. It was called bite toothpaste bits. I didn't even know at the time we'd have whitening gel. You know, I didn't know that. And so we were like, how do we make this all work? And so I was actually on a run and I was trying to think of like, what, how do we do this? And that's, I, I like to think when I'm on runs and then I was like, wait, what if it like kind of, what, what could bite stand for? And that's when we came up, I uh, came up with the idea of because it's the earth. And it just like, as soon as I thought of that, I was like, whoa, that's it. Cause everything we do is because it's the earth, you know? And I was like, oh my God, like that, that's perfect. And so that was then, you know, kind of undertaking a, a small rebrand, right? Of like, how do we explain to people we're no longer bite toothpaste pits, now we're because it's the earth. And then also coming up with the product. So, um, you know, what we did is it was our first time with custom tooling and it's the idea, the idea was we made this beautiful aluminum case and it's like mirror finish. It's just, it's something like, it, it looks like an away, like the aluminum away suitcase. And then we had the compostable refill, which is cardboard that goes into the bottom of it. And so the idea is instead of the cardboard touching your armpit, it's the actual formula. It's totally protected by the case. And then it's easy to travel with. And instead of having like that long cardboard tube that you can only get one finger up and it's all kind of weird, we did this friction fit bottom that you can put two fingers up so it's like it feels solid and it doesn't fall back down and it just feels like a regular deodorant you know it feels like something that um you know substantial and so that was the beginning of that I started talking to our customers actually what's the problem with natural deodorants a lot of them have baking soda a lot of people can't use baking soda it, oh it, interesting yeah because under your armpits incredibly sensitive and so baking soda can be highly, highly irritating. And so we're like, okay, well, we need to make something that's effective without baking soda. So we put in zinc resiliate, um, which is this really cool ingredient. Um, it actually breaks the malodor bonds, like the, the molecules that smell bad, it breaks them. So you can't smell your BO. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> and it's actually really similar to what we use in our toothpaste and our mouthwash, which is called zinc citrate, which bonds the malodors and bad breath and breaks that. So that's how that kind of – so it's like a really interesting – Now you're um, a chemist you know. too. <laughs> I know. And I was like, well, that's the one we want to use because I know it works. And so that was, you know, how we did it. And then we did uh, clinical testing with volunteers. Like we want to make sure it's going to work. If we're going to put it out there, we don't want people to then be like, eco-friendly products suck, you know, so we're like, this needs to work. And great reviews. And same with uh, skin irritation. So we wanted to make sure that it didn't do that. So we went through clinical testing with volunteers and, you know, had it all – tested for effective. And then that was our first body care product. That's amazing. And how did you bring that to market and market it? What have been your best channels for marketing? We're still an online business. Meta is our is something that we still use a lot, um, as well as TikTok. And so I think, you know, again, the visual component was so important because if you look at our 
deodorant, it looks super small. It's like half the size of a deodorant that you would see on like a drugstore shelf. Like the big men's ones especially, I can imagine. Yeah. Exactly. So, but the thing is, is that's crazy. And this is what we show. This is actually one of the videos that went viral on TikTok because now it's like, if you're going to go viral, I feel like TikTok is a great place to be. Um, And so one of the videos that went viral on TikTok was we showed that type of container and we showed ours and then we actually, it was brand new, we screwed up the formula all the way and we took the formula out and we put it next to our deodorant and it's actually almost the exact same size. And that's because the screw in the bottom that with the elevator takes up literally half of the container. So we were like, we need to visually show people that we're not trying to scam you, right? This is not half the product for, you know, double the price. This is something that is actually apples to apples, very similar, but way better ingredients, way better for the planet. Um, but in size, you know, apples to apples. So when we kind of go back to how do we market things, visual, 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 it's just so incredibly important. And to show that visual too of like this plastic screw is just going to end up in the landfill. That's exactly doesn't it. doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's something that that resonates with consumers, right? Like everyone's annoyed that their chip bag isn't full when they buy a full bag of chips, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and that's exactly, it's, it's double the waste for the screw at the bottom, you know? And I think that's the thing too that you know, when you look at it's the 15 million pounds of deodorant packaging, just deodorant packaging ends up in landfills. And then when you think about it, if they actually did it right, it could be like half the size, (laughs) you know, and that's still an enormous amount, you know, like that is still an enormous amount. But like the fact that the need for shelf presence for something to look bigger than it is, um, or even just having that screw, I just feel like these products can be and should be reimagined in ways that are way more beneficial to the planet and and our bodies too. Because when you look at the same thing, it's just like with toothpaste. When you actually dig into the ingredients, some of them are there that are actually good for your teeth. Some of them are actual for odor issues. But a lot of them are not. You know, it's cheap fillers, it's artificial flavors and, and chemicals and preservatives. So what are you envisioning for the future? What does the next year hold for for Bite? Are you thinking of expanding into retail? Are you thinking of expanding into more products? Um, what's your vision? We've been so fortunate just to have this incredible amount of organic, you know, word of mouth people who are just really passionate about our mission, you know. And I think that's something that's really important to to me personally is being able to explain why and really try to create the change, right? Because I think it's like whether or not you're buying bite product or you choose some other eco-friendly situation, it's like, or product, it's like once you understand the situation, right? Once you understand like these daily things are adding up, it's kind of like seeing the color red. It's like if you're in a room and you're not thinking about the color red, but then, you know, you're like, okay, actually I'm going to start pointing out everything that's red. You realize it's everywhere, right? And so it's one of those things that when you're not aware of the problem, it seems like pretty insignificant. Once you're aware of it, it starts really impacting your daily life and like, how can I switch these things out? So, you know, for me, it's continuing to be able to talk about the problem and get the word out in an accessible, you know, really impactful way. It's creating new and exciting products that are able to fill the gaps of our customers. You know, I talk to them uh, once a week and figuring out, you know, what are the things that are they're still using in their lives that are not eco-friendly and how can we help solve that? And then it's also, you know, getting bite being able to be more accessible, right? Looking at retail. And then it's like a whole different type of storytelling. How do we tell bite story? How do you tell the story of a toothpaste tablet when they're not on your website? How do you tell that in packaging? And how do you make that packaging in alignment with our eco-friendly values? So I think that 
those are the challenges and the opportunities that we see. And like, that's what I'm really, really excited about. So we're, we're currently in some retail stores. We're in Erewhon and we're in Credo. They've both been incredible partners. And I think, you know, as we continue to expand and test, we'll be able to hopefully like align with more retail channels that we think what they're doing is really amazing. And we want to be part of that. You want to do that, but slowly and and from your region. And yes, that's great. Tell me some advice that you would give to a founder who just has a, an idea that they they think like, I'm going to use this. My friends are going to use this. And it's going to change this way we do a thing in our lives. Maybe they didn't go to business school. Maybe they didn't intend to start a business. But what do you think they need to know before actually like making a new thing in the world? Love it. So I would say there's never been a better time to start a business. And it's never been more important to find really innovative solutions to our everyday problems, whether it's in sustainability or anywhere across the board. I think it's just so important that we have these kind of independent problem solvers trying to to go after it. So I would say don't be intimidated. The idea that you don't know what you're doing means that you're on a path, right? The correct path. Because if you are solving a problem that someone else knew how to solve. If you if the answers were easily there, someone else would have solved it. So the fact that you're kind of treading new territory and you kind of feel out of sorts, it's a good thing. Get comfortable with the uncomfortableness and get as much feedback on your product as possible. So the internet is an amazing place. You know, I took chemistry classes online, spent a lot of time on Reddit looking up how to make tablets. You know, like the, the internet is your, you, you know, you can find so many amazing answers on there. And then get your product out there and get it in the hands of people friends, family, have feelings made of Teflon, (laughs) you know, (laughs) make the feedback. But I think it's like, get it out in the wild. Um, It's never been more important to find these uh, innovative solutions and just like take the feedback and be as iterative as possible and just know it's never done. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And now you started the company with sort of the clean supply chain, clean ingredients always in mind from the very start. What about companies who are just thinking about it now, who already have their supply chains in in order, who already have ingredients? How can they kind of go, what is their responsibility there and how can they begin that process to kind of clean up their ingredients and their supply chains? So from business person to business person, I would say there's nothing better for your business than actually making those changes. Customers care. And it's so important that we do that. You know, like we're a certified B Corp. Our customers love that. And like it's if you're on the fence thinking, I get what it's like to run a small business. I get that you're up, you sometimes feel like you're up against the world. And why do I want to make this sustainable change? Why do I want to go clean? It's gonna be good for your business. I'm telling you, it's the future, right? So I would say first, it's worth the effort. Second, just choose one thing. It's just like when you're trying to change any habit or anything. Choose one thing and change that. Make that part of your business and then change the next thing. Slowly, slowly, just get it, you know, start tackling one thing after the other. It'll get easier. So if it's like, if it's as as easy as like switching from poly mailers to craft mailers, right? Switching from plastic tape to paper tape. Tackle that one uh, problem put that into your business model, run it through everything, and and then the next one, right? Then maybe get out the plastic bottles and move to glass or aluminum or something more. So it's just like one thing at a time because I really do understand that sometimes as a business owner, it's you against the world, but this is the future of business is eco-ethical, sustainable businesses, and you're going to have to do the work eventually. Let's just do it nice and slow and get it going now. That's what would be my recommendation. Great. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for that advice and for being here today. Thank you so much, Christine. 
speaking with Lindsay, what has stuck with me is that while maybe she didn't set out to create a fast-growing business, as Byte has grown, she has stuck to her initial impulses, and she's continued to do things her own way. She hasn't sacrificed the company's sustainability mission, even when it meant to replace one ingredient to totally rework its packaging, its production, and its formulation. She's correct that once a company grows, steering that once nimble operation can feel like driving a tank. But for decision-making to be genuine and true to the mission, it needs on some level to stay nimble and stay focused. Even after running her company for seven years and launching a handful of new products, Lindsay is still dedicated to creating the change she wanted to see. And that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow wherever you are listening. It'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you can spare a minute, please do leave us a review. You can also let us know what you think about our shows by dropping me a note at whatiknow at inc.com. Our producer, who loves to drive this tank like it's a speedboat, is Joshua Christensen. Our associate producer is Blake Odom, and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. Thank you.